I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, our special this week to commemorate 10 years of Speed Cafe. Over that time, we've seen the growth of the internet and our reliance on electronic media grow as a news source, particularly in a fast-moving sport like ours is. Speed Cafe is the largest independent motorsport news site in the world, with 43 million pages a year and 140,000 pages per day. This is just part of the changing face of motorsport journalism in the 21st century. The media landscape in general has changed radically over, well, certainly the last five years and going back the last ten years, and that's directly related to the spectacular and inexorable rise of the internet. So how did the internet and a website change motorsport journalism in Australia? Today we look at the rise of speedcafe.com, from its inception through to where it sits now in the media landscape of one of Australia's most popular and enduring sports. Andrew Van Leeuwen is the Australian editor of Motorsport.com, a global motorsport media platform. He reflects on where the motorsport media was 10 years ago when he was working at Motorsport News magazine, one or two regular and reliable voices of motorsport in Australia at the time. And Back then there was no online reporting community everything was still very much based around magazines at motorsport news we had a website um it was called platinum i think it was it was part of the subscriber thing we used to do like three stories a week or something you know and it was about making sure you didn't burn anything good all that stuff was saved for the magazine and that was how we were comfortable operating because there was no great rivalry here or there was no competition in that online space and there was nobody pumping stuff out regularly online so we were sort of comfortable with our initially fortnightly magazines and if you look at what we did with motorsport news when we started motorsport e-news that was quite radical publishing once a week in an online magazine but it was still a magazine we didn't change things we couldn't upload things as we went it was still in a lot of respects very traditional um and there was just no great website competition until yeah October 2009, when suddenly along came Speed Cafe. Brett Crusher-Murray, head of the BAM group, was the man behind the creation of SpeedCafe.com. Oh, I saw a niche in the market. I probably wanted to start it two years earlier, but I didn't have the money, so I tried to sort of, you know, rustle a bit of cash away and then, you know, have a, have a decent crack at it. Gordon Lomas, former News Limited journalist, who would later join Speed Cafe. On Christmas of 2008, I... I went to the state and caught up with Crusher and uh, we spent a bit of time together and I just sort of tossed up the idea that there's a hole in the market in Australia for a, a motorsport style website, you know, kind of along the lines of, of autosport and that's where the idea sort of formulated and Crusher had the, the wherewithal to swing those ideas into action the following year. Finding the right person to lead this project was critical to its success. With a high profile launch date set, it was a busy time for Crusher. Uh, we had Grant Rowley, who was at uh, Motorsport News. We we snaggled him, and um, everyone thought he was coming and join our PR side of the business on that weekend, which happened to also be the weekend the A1GP didn't turn up, and I was promoting the Gold Coast race, so I had that with the Legends, Pertech Legends uh, gig we did, and then the roll out of the website at the same time, and everything else was going on, so... There wasn't much sleep for a, you know, a month or so, and certainly that week I, uh, I'd probably count the number of hours I had on 
on both hands, you know. So I remember um, you know, the first story and and uh, and how it was all out. said, everyone said, you know, what what's the hell is this? Um, yes, it's going to be a propaganda machine for you know our PR clients and all that. And when they soon found out that it wasn't. Motorsport news journalist and editor of the Australian Motorsport Annual Grant Rowley reflects on his move from print media to online and how he believed it was the future of motorsport coverage in Australia. I guess the the move from motorsport news to Speed Cafe was as simple as Crush, Brett Murray giving me a call and, and asking initially he'd like me involved in some sort of project and he didn't actually tell me what the project was about but I knew, you know, knowing Crusher that it was going to be a, a harebrained uh, idea and probably something that I wasn't really going to be interested in but as soon as he did tell me what it was about um, it was right up my alley. Uh, I loved the guys at Motorsport News and um, and still get along with all of them very well. But, um, you know, at that, that stage I could uh, see that um, I needed a change. But, um, you know, the, the availability of uh, the access to free news, to, to live news was, was needed in all different demographics, in all sports and all, all markets. So... Um, Motorsport was crying out for it, and um, with with no um, idea that uh, Motorsport News was going to do it, and, and they never actually they never did it. But um, knowing that they weren't going to go to that model, um, it was it was definitely something I was interested in, and uh, grabbed it with both hands, and um, you know did did the uh, did the very best we could. This is a tough business to keep secrets in. And I have to say that Grant and Crusher, they did a good job of, of keeping quiet what they were doing because, I mean, I was sitting next to Grant every day at work at that time. I knew he was going to work. He told us he was going to work for Crusher. He was going to work for Band Media. There was nothing out of the ordinary about that at all because it was quite normal back then that you would do your time at a magazine and then you'd go to a PR job because there was a fairly low ceiling on, on earning potential working in the specialist media at that time, you know, you were just you weren't going to get rich working at a um, working at a magazine, so you had to you, you pretty much had to go into PR. And you look at you know guys like Chris Jordan, who's now the the head of comms at Porsche. You know, he did that exact step. I got my job because he went to go work for BAM to do PR. So it was quite normal when Grant it was quite a normal when Grant had done his time six seven years whatever. He said, okay, I'm going to go work for BAM. We all went, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. The weird thing, we couldn't get out of him what he was going to do because the first question is, oh, okay, what are you doing? You know, Chris went to go to go-karting because he loved that. He went to do the, the Australian Karting Association stuff, you know. So we're going to Grant, what, you know, what are you, are you working for a team or what are you doing? Nothing. We just got, no, no, nah, we haven't worked that out, whatever. It just went on and on and on. And uh, as, it, as the news sort of broke of what was happening, it became obvious why he'd been so quiet about it. Um, but at the time, we, um, yeah, we, we genuinely... Didn't see it coming. They did a very good job of keeping it uh, keeping it very quiet. Andrew Van Leeuwen there again. You know, websites had been pretty active for a couple of years before that. Um, even in uh, international motorsport, um, you know, everyone would wake up and go to autosport.com. That's where you'd get um, your international news from. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't a new thing. We we weren't reinventing the wheel. We were just doing. Um, something properly for the first time in this industry here in Australia. Grant Rowley was writing for Speed Cafe across all disciplines of motorsport. The 24-7 thirst for stories challenged him to feed the constant demand of new news.
Enter Stephen Bartholomeus. Uh, yes, and it was uh, it was the thing that saved me from not uh, losing my mind because um, you know, to being a one man band with the support of the BAM group, um, but but essentially the all the editorial uh, stuff sort of hung on my shoulders and and yeah, it was it was a lot of work and and I put in a, a lot of effort, but um, you know we needed to have. Uh, more staff and I was waiting for the right person to come along and I guess I'd thrown around a, a few ideas but no I, there wasn't really anyone out there and out of the blue um, Stephen Bartholomew sent an email and uh, the first thing I thought was well that was a really well crafted email I, that, I might need to speak to this uh, young uh, South Australian. Yeah, well, there's a couple of steps to that because, firstly, when I first got involved, I was living in Adelaide, still at university. I'd done a little bit, uh, a few bits and pieces with a guy called Sean Henshelwood, who had a magazine called Ignition, um, and I'd written a few features for him just while I was at uni, sort of more just a little hobby thing, um, and that allowed me to go to a couple of events as accredited media. So that was even going back to sort of 2009. And then at the Adelaide 500 in 2010, I went to... It was the media call in the pit lane for the Grand Slam, I think it was called, that um, a driver could win $2 million if they won all of the big four events, which uh, seemed a bit unlikely, but it made for a nice press shot with a massive check and and Tony Cochran and a couple of drivers. And um, I saw Grant Rowley there... Uh, looking uh, very, very stressed. And, of course, Speed Cafe had only started in October 2009, so this is March 2010. And um, it it rolled out pretty impressively, obviously. Um, It it changed the game from the start, and it it evidently looked a lot bigger than it was because when I saw Grant sort of ripping his hair out, um, I thought, oh, just, like, I obviously recognised him also from Motorsport News Days having, you know, read all of his stuff um, through through university and back into into school not to make him sound old but um yeah so i uh just basically basically said look if you you need a hand with something i'm probably after experience more than anything else and then so from the next i think the next week or whatever i followed it up with a with an email and um we uh kept talking throughout the year and i eventually um got crush to send him uh to pay for his flight to come over to bathurst for the 1000 in 2010 uh, I think the race actually fell on Stefan's birthday that day. And um, ever since then, uh, he's been... Uh, ever since, From that point, he um, we hung on to him and got as much out of him as we could until we did a full-time deal. Then through 2010, so he was still, as I say, only four or five months old when, when I wrote my first story for it and was just doing really basic, easy turning around like Formula One press quotes and things like that just as a little bit of support for Grant and it turned into by October 2010 getting invited to Bathurst to work with him there and then immediately getting invited back to the Gold Coast race and then by the Sydney event that year the season finale I actually uh, packed a suitcase went to Homebush and went back from Homebush to Melbourne and lived with Grant for the first month working full-time out of the Docklands office that, that coincided with the end of my university, so it was a busy time there going to a few events and doing exams and things like that, but it meant I had a full-time job there to uh, go to as soon as I was uh, finished up with studies.
that was Stefan Bartholomeus. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was certainly the person who saved saved me for at um, you know re- remaining at the job because he um, he was very green in the um, uh, you know in the full time working world. But you could just you knew I knew that he was damn good at what he does. Gordon Lomas had seen a lot of motorsport and motoring journalists over his career, but Stefan was something a little out of the ordinary. Stefan's come into the game pretty much, you know, raw. He didn't come from a newspaper background like a lot of us guys. But the thing about Stefan is he's an absolute born natural talent at, uh, at chasing stories and getting getting all sides of the, the picture. He's, he's one of those guys who doesn't come around all that often. And uh, certainly in my time in newspapers in a previous life, he would have been handy to have around. Grant and Stefan became a formidable duo building a high profile in Australian motorsport. It was the job that gave myself some profile in the sport. I'd never really worried about that too much at Motorsport News. Really, I started there when I was pretty young and um, a really a nervous little uh, journo, just, a, just a, uh, you know, a fan or a scholar of the sport, um, but never really, um, you know felt that I was that I'd uh, hit any hit any potential or anything with 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 my you know career but speed cafe gave me no choice I just it was either sink or swim and because the whole industry was was really into it um, you know I became uh, you know known up and down pit lane and uh, since then I've kind of had different roles um, with Nissan Motorsport, with the Nissan Motor Company, and even times where I wasn't in the game at all. Um, and most of the people that I know from the from the very top end, your your Roland Danes of the world, uh, you know, right down to the uh, the the guys who do the heavy lifting. Most of them I've met through and because of um, my four years at Speed Cafe. We had also uh, Gordon Lomas. Uh, very experienced ex-News Limited journalist um, and longtime friend of, of Crusher who had come in and done uh, some work on what was a New Zealand version of the website. And um, so he sort of came into the Australian speakerbay.com system um, as sort of the, the managing editor was, was the title. So I was doing the, the grunt work on the supercar stuff and and everything like that but um, he was a, a key part of that mix then as well. The idea was to sort of ha- have an arm of, of Speed Cafe to cater specifically for the New Zealand market. We, we tried that for quite a period of time. There was quite a lot of time and effort put into it and I think covered New Zealand motorsport like no one else has had done it before. Quite an interesting project and yeah, we were quite happy to, uh, to, to have a go at it. Stefan Bartholomeus moved from Speed Cafe to supercars.com but he credits much of his success to the training provided by Grant Rowley. Grant had helped me so much. Like I just learnt everything about the game on the inside as opposed to what you're seeing on the outside and just how to be a news journalist. Um, he was all, always sort of on the ragged edge of, of madness gathering news. It's just how, how it is. And, uh, yeah, so to be able to do... Uh, I, was, I was fortunate to... That we, that Crusher, like invested enough to. I did a lot of events in 2011, and then all of them in 2012. Even Grant stayed home for a couple because he was sort of getting a little bit, I think, burnt out. 
but going to events with Grant just meant that by the time he was ready to to go and, and do something else with Nissan Motorsport in 2013, I was ready to step up. I probably I didn't feel ready. It was really weird initially that um, for, to not be able to just pick up the phone to Grant on a on a weekday, I felt like one of my arms was missing. You know, as the website became more influential, the team was constantly looking for ways to increase audience and interest. At that stage, we were sort of still growing the site, tossing around ideas and coming up with new ways we can cover the sport, not just in the immediacy of, of breaking news, but other, other ways as well. And I think the product now has developed to a stage where it's, it's written, it's audio, there's also a video component of it. It's got all sort of facets of the, of the media game uh, covered, I would think, pretty well uh, serviced by now. Gordon Lomas there. To feed the growing demand... Speed Cafe was again on the lookout for journalists. Enter Tom Howard, Englishman in Brisbane with the perfect CV to enhance the team. Tom had to learn a lot more than just the systems at Speed Cafe. It's been quite an eye-opener for me because I didn't grow up in Australia, so it's it's um, had a lot, of, lot to learn, uh, not just about Australian motorsport, but how the industry operates over here as well, which is slightly different to where I'm from. So it's been... It's been uh, quite an opener, but obviously one that I'll look back on in the in the, in the future with uh, great pride because it's 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 quite tough out here, and um, yeah, no, I'm quite happy with how it's all gone. It's been hard work, but the rewards are there when you see the numbers and you see the recognition, and it's been really good. I'll be honest, it, it, it's hard at times, and it's one of the hard. It'll be probably the hardest job I've ever done. Uh, just because it's a lot to do and there's a lot to cover. And for me personally, there was a lot of groundwork that I had to do to get up to speed, um, just with all the categories and everything over here. So it's it's been tough, but been mass- massively rewarding as well. Gordon Lomas reflects on how Tom joined the team. Tom Howard, he came from a newspaper background in England. He decided to settle in Brisbane and he approached me via email and basically I put the feelers out and asked for a bit of work. At the time, I, I thought, well, we need, needed a bit of a hand because uh, we were covering everything that moved in Australia and internationally. And we, we needed someone like Tom to sort of chip in and uh, he did that for a while and, and came on board not long after that full time. And Tom's certainly been a, a welcome addition to the Australian motorsport journo family. Roland Dane is the team principal for Triple Eight Race Engineering. He and his team has featured in many Speed Cafe stories and we asked him for his opinion of what Speed Cafe has done in reporting motorsport in Australia. It was inevitable that somebody was going to do something of the style of Speed Cafe in Australia. Um, so when um, Crusher, you know, Brett Murray, uh, launched it, his timing was, was good. And, um, and we've seen, you know... Unfortunately, from my point of view, but but reality is reality. We've seen since then the print media become even less relevant, honestly, to our world. And that the dissemination of news more and more is through um, digital means. And so and whether that's the website directly or news feeds off it with Instagram and that type of thing and, and, and you look at V8 Supercars the, the webs, their website which uh, to be honest an awful lot of people don't even use that website now they use the app to, to, to 
get the, the the flow of news from that. So so Crusher was sort of right place at the right time, if you like, with Speak Cafe. Um, and I like the fact that for the most part, he's managed to keep its independence. In 2009, Brad Jones was racing supercars. He is now a team owner and understands how news is consumed in 2019. The first thing that people look at when they want to see what's going on in motorsport, not just in supercars, I mean, obviously the supercar website deals with all that, but Australian motorsport, it's, uh, you know, it's seen lots of people pass through it. It's Crush's baby, and I think it's uh, certainly filled a, a niche in the market. Barry Rogers from GRM provides his view of the motorsport media landscape. There's no doubt the internet and Speed Cafe obviously reports all their news over the internet has, you know, made, has made news more immediate than what it was in the past. I mean, we always used to wait for the Thursday to rush out and buy our auto action, which we still do, of course, to support Bruce and his team over there, auto action. They do a fantastic job also. I mean, we're not big. Gary and I particularly are a bit old school. We, we deal in facts, not rumour and innuendo. Um, certainly those uh, websites report news. You know, sure. You know, they they like to think they deal in the facts, and they can only deal in what people tell them. But often, often, often they're told things that uh, maybe maybe aren't quite right. So we we like, we like to deal in facts, but certainly the ability to, you know, to help motorsport grow and all these all that sort of thing. I mean, immediate news like that certainly has helped motorsport. I would say. I like the fact it's independent, and I hate the fact that so much of the news these days in sports in general comes from from City Hall. And you see that in the AFL, see that Football Federation Australia um, in soccer, and you see it with supercars, to be honest. That independence was something that was often questioned when Speed Cafe was established. The team were constantly dealing with rumours and gossip in the paddock and media centre that their platform was biased and being used as a platform for the promotion and marketing of parent company, the BAM Group. Yeah, look, it didn't, I wasn't, I honestly wasn't comfortable with it. Um, I wasn't comfortable with it, but um, I knew that I was doing the best uh, best job I could for the employer that I had, uh, but also doing the fairest job I, po- I possibly could by the industry as well. Um, so, you know, I can I could only pick out a couple of very very minor uh, instances where um, where there was a compromise, but by and large, more than ninety nine percent of the time. Um, Crush, to his credit, gave free reign and and allowed us to, uh, or certainly allowed myself in those early years when it was just myself to uh, just report as it is without any uh, without any conflicts. So, um, yeah, there was lots of lots of talk about it, but you know, I felt that the, the uh, within the industry, I felt that the talk was good because. You know, everyone was talking about it, and if they weren't saying how great it was, um, then they were they were you know, pot- you know, potentially questioning um, the integrity of it. But at least they were talking, and I know that the uh, the haters were uh, were one of the first ones every morning to jump on and 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 see what um, see what rubbish I was writing about. You probably got told by a few people that maybe not even necessarily to your face, but maybe behind your back that it was just the the mouthpiece for the PR company behind it. Um, but now working at supercars, you get told that yeah, you're just an imposter and you're not a journalist anyway and you're just the mouthpiece for the category. So I think that the lesson is 
there. Like, you, you know personally when you've done a good job of something or when you haven't. And, yeah, not to listen to too much from the outside because uh, in any sort of circus that, that travels like, like this does, whether it be within the media or within the teams, it's just you don't have to go too far to hear someone bagging you. But uh, <laughs> you just kind of got to brush it off. But I think that the bigger picture of, of that with... Um, with the BAM media, which crushes uh, PR arm and, and Speak Cafe, was that um, obviously BAM media had been very successful for a long period of time and Speak Cafe was started with just Grant sitting in the corner of the Melbourne office. Like, it was just Grant. And guys like Ben Beasley, who was on the BAM media side with the TV, really loved NASCAR, so he would help out a little bit with the NASCAR reports uh, and, and just bits and pieces like that. So the, the business helped Speak Cafe. Um, when we started travelling, though, uh, when, I, when I started in the mix, there was just this huge team of we might have like eight or ten, ten people at some events with um, guys doing PR for teams and sponsors and then obviously the video guys and things like that. And Speak FA was, was you know, 20% of that mix of travelling traveling people. And, yeah, through that period that I was there, by the end of it, quite often it was just me at events um, purely doing Speak Cafe stuff but it's kind of how it transitioned from being uh, the PR company being the, the the big one and Speak Cafe just being this little startup on the side to Speak Cafe being quite quite a thing in its own right. Oh no, I think we, we dealt with it um, straight away within the first 12 months. Certainly within, I think there was a, a story that was... Um, uh, very negative um, towards, you know, just playing a straight bat towards one of our PR clients within a couple of months of the website being open. And as soon as that happened, everyone realised it was, you know, it was game on and um, it, was a, it was a serious player in the game. And, and then there was a few that uh, tried to knife us and a few that still try to cut our legs off and um, we just keep going from strength to strength because we just, you know, we focus on what we're trying to do, try and produce the best product we can. Um, and uh, try and get the best people we, ha- we we can get to do the job, and um, the results speak for themselves. I guess that pretty much from the industry that sort of chatter came about. It's only natural. It was always going to be one of those difficult things to sort of push aside the PR side of things and make it a legitimate standalone media company without that kind of PR sort of bias, if you like. And certainly those hurdles were quite large, but I, I think, you know, in all seriousness, the professional journos that have been involved with Speed Cafe over those years have made a good fist of making that a really independent and, you know, sort of recognised uh, media outlet. Tom Howard, now editor of Speed Cafe, says he hasn't had to suffer the same vitriol that the earlier journalists endured. I can understand why there would have been some of the comments made because if you look at it outside, you could from the outside you could see, you can understand. But my view is that certainly these days I think it's quite clear that it's very much two things. There's a PR arm of the business and there is a website and we're allowed to do essentially it's it's not controlled by anyone else but you only have to look at all the publications these days at some point there is some sort of control by some sort of advertising or something because that's how the operation works these days but yeah it's difficult like i can understand at the start of it i can see why people would have gone oh this is this doesn't look very like the right thing to do but 
as I said, journalism has changed in the last 10 years. Things have got different, definitely. It's not, it's not how it was 10 years ago. I think it's certainly never been... I've never felt there was agendas being uh, pressed on me or anything like that. So, yeah, I was really, really grateful to Crusher that his strategy was just hire people that he thought could do a good job and then give them the tools to do it and then back them to, to go and do it on their own. And what I tried to do and emphasise to my guys, and I took a bit of a... That was under the BAM umbrella, and we separated as soon as we could. And we wasn't relying sort of, you know, on the cash flow. Um, it, was, it was important for it to... Uh, you know, I took old-school journalistic ethics that I grew up with and I applied it to a modern medium, and that's been a hell of a difference. You know, there's no speculation, there's no comment, there's no, it's just straight hard news black or white, we want to comment from both sides, uh, move on you know, we've seen other blokes who write sensational stories and everyone thinks it's great, but half the time they're not right and um, you know, they, they're proven not to be right, so they can take all the kudos at the time but if it's wrong, it's wrong Journalism now runs on a 24 hour cycle. Andrew Van Leeuwen talks about what it used to be like and how journalism has changed. It's totally different, It's uh, we, we reminisce a lot you know, even Grant and myself or, uh, or Mitchell Adam, who's now at Supercars and myself, we reminisce about the old motorsport news days. They were publishing in, in a more traditional sense is very much peaks and troughs in terms of the workload. So there were, there were spikes of really hard work, but then you would have times. Now, early in a race weekend, for example, there just wasn't that much to do. You'd be milling around and, you know, talking to people and trying to find out info and banking stuff away that you might use later. But there was no urgency to really do any of that, you know, whereas uh, now you, you, there's urgency for everything. So it's a, just a really constant barrage of work. It really never stops. And it just seems feels normal now. And it feels weird to say, you know, 10 years ago, this thing came along and revolutionised the industry here in Australia because now that's just how it works. And it's, you know, it's not just Speed Cafe. It is motorsport.com and it is supercars.com and it is Fox Sports and it's everyone working in that way. Um, but, you know, back then it wasn't. But, yeah, it's a big departure. Now, what we do now, it's hard work and it's competitive. It's, it, it's in a lot of ways more competitive than it used to be because people can just roll stuff out whenever. You have to be on guard 100% of the time. It's not walking down the shops to buy auto action on a Wednesday and that's the only time you sort of saw the competition's hand, it's happening all the time now. So, yeah, it's, it's relentless and it's competitive and it's fun, but it's, it's really hard work as well. That is one of the dramas we face, and it's particularly difficult in Australia because before, before 2017 I was doing more of the international stuff on Speed Cafe, so I was up all hours doing Grand Prix, and that's unusual for me because, for me, normally a Grand Prix in the UK would be, be an afternoon job and you'd finish it like, six seven o'clock in the evening and you'd be done but here you're up at 2 a.m 3 a.m writing stories uh so it it's a real yeah it messes with your mind and your sleeping pattern so yeah you can't really it's particularly difficult here like especially with the international stuff because of the time zone difference it's very difficult and like people back home are sort of they find it strange that i'm up at those sort of hours but i'm like you have to like you, you can't not do that like the demand is so much like we had and you notice it like it doesn't matter what Ricardo does in an F1 race. People just want to have some reaction from him from a Grand Prix as soon as they wake up uh, in Australia. And to do that, you've got to do it live. You can't do it any other way. So it's just very difficult on that note. Yeah, you don't... Yeah, you also you always live in fear. Like, when you get home you, like, you, and you go to bed, like, you just check everything before you go and you know that, no doubt, something will crop up and you'll have to chase in the morning. We were under huge 
deadline pressure in newspaper land that can't be dismissed but the, the the whole electronic side of things is a completely different animal where there really is no deadline because every minute of the day is a deadline it, it just it never ends and people talk about the 24-hour news cycle and it is just that i mean it's a really solid hard-nosed news story online has got a lifespan of about a matter of an hour or so and then you've got to constantly refresh whereas in the print world obviously that was that was totally different the paper came out the next day and and the story at last for the for the duration until uh, until the next date the, the following day so for brad jones barry rogers and roland dane when you or your team are the focus of a story that you believe is wrong do you pick up the phone and give the journalist a piece of your mind oh absolutely i think everyone that's passionate about what they do and has a position in the sport, you know, that's, that's a journalist's job to find the stuff out and, and if it, if it uh, involves you and you're not happy with it, it's your right to complain about it and, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone of doing that. No, look, to be honest with you, I mean, obviously Stephen Bartholomew's, Bartholomew's was there for a lot of years and we used to deal with Stephen quite a bit and, look, the, the thing I've found particularly, and, and Tom Howard in recent times with their journalists, um, you know, they... they they do report it as you say it, and that's, and that's all you can ask. If you, know, if you say something, so long as I report it as you say it, that they don't cut little bits out and chop little bits to maybe change the actual point you're trying to make. So, no, I've never had a problem with anything they've reported. I mean, anything I've ever spoken to them about, they've reported it as it was said. So, never had a problem. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I'd never, um, if I'd never picked up the phone and had a go at them about something. Um, mostly though just about accuracy so the biggest thing that pisses me off with journalists and I come from yeah, a family where my elder sister worked for many many years still does on a part time basis for the Financial Times in London my grandfather was the chairman of a newspaper major newspaper in the UK so you know I've, I've come from a family where um, the media should be respected. But what, what annoys me every so often is when I think, hey, guys, you could have lifted up the phone and at least asked on a story that relates to Triple Eight or a story that relates to supercars in general, you could have asked either on or off the record for some more information that would have helped your story to be more accurate. So what is the Speed Cafe team's favourite story from the last 10 years? Oh, probably the portable dunnies flying off the back of the trailer at Sandown, one, which is still one of my highest ranking stories, actually. Photos of that. I think that was um, that was a good yarn. I think, you know, it's probably a few that we had a bit of a sniff on. You know, we scooped run on the, you know, James Courtney going to HRT story. Everyone wanted to write that he was going somewhere else. And we were smart enough to pick out a few loopholes in that and, and waited and everyone else ran with it and sensationalised it and wanted to get the kudos for it and then, you know, again, it was one of those stories that was wrong. We got it right. So, you know, the direction to our guys from the management is, you know, we want to be first but we don't want to be wrong. So that means we've got to wait. We'll wait. But we need to make sure we're right before we go. I think the most popular, uh, the most popular story I think that I ever wrote was when... Shane Van Gisbergen had con- was going to leave the sport and he had decided that he was going to leave and I tell you, Ross Stone was not happy when I rolled, uh, rolled out that, that, uh, that yarn and as it turned out, um, 
Shane didn't actually leave the sport anyway. He just uh, switched to another team. But mm. that story sort of stood for about two months and was uh, it was a pretty pretty popular uh, pretty popular click, very clickable I think at that point. I guess it's hard to pinpoint an actual story as such, but I think we led the industry in when we lost uh, Sir Jack Brabham. I think we really, in our coverage, we led the industry on on how we approached that. And I think we got a lot of kudos, uh, not only here, but but around the world, for how we sort of uh, dealt with that. Yeah, I guess the thing with the um, with the online cycle really is not only are you churning out so many stories a day and a week, but you don't ever uh, get, a, get a printed magazine delivered to your door and sort of look back through the work you've done for, for that week or month or whatever it is. So things sort of fall out of your mind pretty quickly. I think we've been fortunate in my era, um, and it was something that started at the end of 2012 with the um, Supercars Media Awards where that was a nice bit of recognition to remember, then it's, it's easy for me now to go, oh, writing about supercars about to buy the Bathurst 12-hour. Um, it's easy to remember something like that as a story because there's there's a piece of glass on my desk with or in the cupboard, but whatever. It could be on the desk. Yeah, it makes you feel a bit... Um, when you've seen like the cycle of all these things, it makes you feel like you've been in it for a while. Um, yeah, there's just so many stories over the years. I think one that I liked, because nowadays things like marquee signings whether it's McLaughlin going to Penske or or whatever it's sort of such a dragged out process that everyone's had a little bit of a stab at either speculating it because they've heard from their sources that it might happen and then it's just like everyone's had a go it's not a clean breaking news story and I guess the combination of that and the fact that I've always liked the behind the scenes people for want of a better word and the importance of the technical side that the Ludo Lacroix to, to Penske story at the end of 2016, which was just before I left Speed Cafe, um, to still show that I was pushing that hard on news stories and also just the, I think the significance of that in uh, in the sport. Like we, we all knew that Penske were going to get it together at one point, but that was really the always going to be the tipping point. Obviously, Scotty going there had a big uh, big role to play as well, but that that was going to be the start of a new era in terms of what you see on the track. So I think that uh, that probably sticks in the mind a bit as well. That's really hard. That's a really hard question because there's been so many, but there's been a lot of experiences. It's hard to say favourite because there's been so many moments and there's been so many incredible things that we've witnessed in the last couple of years. Like the, the Supercars finale in 2017 will live with me for the rest of my life because I don't think I've covered anything. And I've done a lot of sports before motorsport and everything. And I, it's right up there for me and it's one of the most dramatic things I've ever written about in my career. Like it was just insane what we were watching unfold in front of us. So the fallout of all that probably will rank up there as probably one of my favourite things I got involved in because it was just nothing I'd experienced nothing like that in my career like the passion that the fans took uh, like I've never seen anything like that it was just extraordinary and as it resulted when you look at the clicks and you're like oh my god this is massive like there are so many people reading this. Gordon Lomas moved on from Speed Cafe in 2017 and that year published The Kings of the Mountain with Penguin Books. Those projects were very very enjoyable 
um, and totally different to uh, to the speed cafe world and, and and certainly the newspaper world. Lomas thinks that everyone who has been part of speed cafe should be proud of what they have achieved in the past decade. You know, the product over the, the period of time, over the 10 years, has really been refined quite a bit, where it's, it's a product now that's not only big in Australia, it's really recognised around the world. Mark Fogarty, Supercars Media Association Hall of Fame member, an editor of Australia's longest-running motorsport publication, Auto Action, believes while Speed Cafe has been part of the change in consumption of motorsport news, it won't erase traditional motorsport publications completely. People now get so much news for free and so quickly that, well, quite frankly, they're increasingly reluctant to, you know, to buy news in the traditional print form. So, you know... Everyone's struggling, you know, newspapers around the world, many have gone under, some publish, you know, much more infrequently, not every day, and a lot of magazines have just withered on the vine. Now, Auto Action, which has been around 48 years, is last man standing as far as motorsport print publications, certainly regular print publications, are concerned, and it is a struggle. You know, we can't compete on the endless news cycle of the motorsport websites. Um, In fact, we don't try to. That's not our business. We have a website, autoaction.com.au. If we have big stories, which we sometimes do, we'll break them on the website. But what we're trying to do is, and we have done spectacularly in the past year, is still break the big news stories in print. It's not easy, but... We've got the staff, a very small staff, but we've got capable people. And that, for a print publication, is the way forward. You've got to give readers something they won't get elsewhere, and that's what we try to do. So it's breaking big stories, it's in-depth features, stuff you won't get online. doesn't make it any easier to survive. It just means you have a reason to survive, and, you have a re- and the readers have a reason to go to you. But... As I said, we are the last regular print publication that covers motorsport in this country. And, well, not only is that a difficult thing to try and maintain and keep the magazine going, because we're not far from you know, a 50th anniversary, which in any publishing terms is a remarkable achievement. Um, but it's just, it's sad, you know, not so long ago, certainly 20 years ago, you know, there were multiple magazines around. And there were magazines, you know, going back into the 60s and 70s, Racing Car News, a monthly magazine. It, it was the Bible of Australian motor racing. That, that was the one everyone went to. And, you know, Auto Action came along in 1971. There are other competitors along the way who've come and gone. Funnily enough, I've worked for most of them <laughs> over the journey. And the internet has made things very difficult because it puts pressure on journalists to just, you know, knee-jerk reaction not take some time to consider. Now, I've managed to keep (laughs) the digital aspect of publishing and journalism at arm's length. I have to get involved, and and when I need to, I I can. But I've never enjoyed just, you know, bang, bang, bang. I like to sit back, give it a bit of perspective, bring my experience to bear on it so that, you know, someone reading the story is getting more than just the simple fact. They've got, you know... I delve into why it's happening and what it means. So I think there's still... No, in fact, I know there's still a place for print publications, but they will change, they will evolve, 
they'll become not elite, but they'll become much more specialist. Um, but we have to keep up with the times, and that's the difficult one because people still don't know really how to monetize the internet and the advantages it provides because people, as I said at the outset, have now got used to getting so much for free that you really have to offer them something special and something extra to get them to put their hands in their pockets. Gordon Lomas also believes the death of newspapers might have been reported too soon. It's hard to sort of look into the crystal ball, but I may be old hat, but I'd like to think that newspapers as such will get a get a new lease of, of life. Um, it would be nice if, if that's the case. We need that type of variation and, and voice in the game. Unfortunately, the way, the way the world is now, it's all electronic. In, in the TV world, we can sort of get a little bit of a guide there in terms of all this subscription television is going through a massive amount of pain at the moment. And there's a suggestion just recently that free-to-air TV is going to come back with a vengeance big time. So take a line through that. Maybe, just maybe, the print world might have, have another life. For Brett Crusher-Murray, where does he see Speed Cafe in the future? Well, I think we've done some really cool stuff outside. You know, we had the car at the Indy 500 in 16, so our branding is on that car and in the archives forever. You know, we've done some advertising historic books. We've done some really cool stuff that keeps our brand in some certain areas for a long time. I think, you know, you just got to be you gotta keep reinventing yourself, you know. It doesn't mean you change the slide dramatically. It's just like what fresh content you do, what technologies in the marketplace, how do you adapt to that? And I've never been scared to, as you know, spend, spend money to have a crack at some stuff and see what works and some what. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But at least you're having a go and you're changing it. I think the fans appreciate that. But as long as you keep, you know... A, straight bat and you're ethical and you're doing what you need to do i think um yeah there's certainly a you know future and as this and as the brand goes and there's more people coming on board and i think we're starting to get to a bit of a tipping point with the site now when you look at the recent numbers which have just been astronomical i think that um you know if, if you said to me we're doing the numbers that we're doing now two years ago i would have said you're dreaming what does that mean we'll be doing in two years time i'm not sure We've had a few others that pop up and want to take us on and egos get in the way and all that type of stuff. You know, if you want to write a cheque, what, what a cost to open the doors up on this thing and take the risk, more the merrier, I say. Thanks for joining us this week on the Inside Supercars special on 10 years of Speed Cafe. We hope you found it as interesting as we did producing it. Next week, we'll be looking back at the results of the Gold Coast pair of mini enduro events. I'm sure you'll find it interesting. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.